Hi everyone, this is Mike Taylor, co-host of A Positive Jam. Today, Daniel and I are discussing the bonus tracks from the 2016 reissue of The Hold Steady's 2004 debut album, The Hold Steady Almost Killed Me. Here's what you need to know about the bonus tracks. Curves and Nerves is probably the song I have listened to the most times of any Hold Steady song, maybe even any song, period. And Milk Crate Mosh is probably my current number one favorite. So I have a really high opinion of the bonus tracks. In this episode, we talk about the value of the lesser known songs in a great band's catalog. We also get into how the bonus tracks help us understand the bands that influence the whole study and how Craig Finn gets a little more pointed and philosophical in the bonus tracks lyrics, kind of letting his point of view filter through more than on the standard album tracks. And just to orient you, the bonus tracks are Milk Crate Mosh, Hot Fries, Curves and Nerves, Modesto is Not That Sweet, and You Gotta Dance with Who You Came to the Dance With. I think these songs are really excellent, there's a case that they're some of the best in the whole stage catalog, so if you haven't already gotten deep on them, this episode is going to make the case that you really need to add these to your listening rotation. All right, let's go. So Mike, we're talking about the bonus tracks for Almost Killed Me. My main take on them is that they're really great songs. And I think there's some differences in how the songwriting approach from what's the tracks that made the album, but certainly some of my favorite songs are these bonus songs. There are like little hints of why you like the band in the beast, because there's something rougher about them or like somehow a decision was made that they shouldn't be at the forefront of what people first encounter when they encounter the band. And so they have some more rough edges or the seams are showing a little bit. And I think you could make that argument about a lot of the songs on here. We've talked about that the way they feel a little more stitched together, maybe even a little more derivative musically, but. Yeah, I think they do a really nice job of, as you said, I was thinking of, you're sort of seeing the bones a little bit. You're seeing yeah. what makes the hold steady and we can go into it almost track by track. So first up is Milk Crate Mosh. Milk Crate Mosh is clearly not I think if you read about the Hold Steady, it's not one of the first songs they wrote by any means. I think Knuckles is considered pretty early on in their writing the Swish or whatever else. But there's something that gives you a sense of who they are and of how they write. It's a really sharp song, I think. There, You've got Gideon, the character from the Hold Steady universe, introduced in the first line with alcohol. You have biblical references and you have this repetition of nervous cough that just really gives you an edge and a sense of there's something sharp to what they're doing and so i thought that was the first big thing that stood out for me for this song and then the other really noteworthy thing when we're talking about the seams is just the really at the climax when they pull out a Keith Richards riff 
Da-na-na. Yeah. Sounds like brown sugar, kind of. I forget what. Like all. It sounds like every Rolling Stones song. Yeah, there's something. There's. I'm not a good enough guitar player, but there's a literal open G, or there's something that Keith Richards did that is just so imitable, but unique to him. It involves, like, barring the... D, G, and B strings, those middle to high strings. And then, so that is like a major triad. You can basically turn that into a minor seven chord and you kind of toggle on and off the minor seven chord. That's sort of the bones of how it it happens. I also have tried to play like him and it's deceptively not something I can do. I love that climax. And one of the things that, I think is interesting about the bonus tracks is that to my listen, they come across as more philosophical and there are more sort of life lessons in them. And you get into that Keith Richards riff with the climactic line of the song, which is when you put it in your mouth, it always gets into your mind. love that idea that you know if you apply it to drugs or you apply it to kissing or something even a little more aggro than kissing then like it matters like what you ingest it will always get into your head it will always become a part of you and i think that's way more preachy preachy is maybe not the right word but it's way more like making an argument about the way life is i think there's a little bit more of a removal and a an arm's length between the narrator and the characters on the album tracks than there is here. I feel like there's a little bit more of, of the narrator reacts to what's happening and is like, well, that's where you messed up. You forgot that when you put it in your mouth, it gets into your mind. You can't escape from the consequences of ingesting something or getting close to someone. I really like that. This song, also, the opening riff is this really languid legato it's driving but it's not fast and it rocks but it's not super hard it reminds me of like driving in the evening when it's like a little bit starting to get warm outside and you're like going to get some burgers with your friends or something like just a real like cruising around type of feel i think that there's like a lot of california elements to the bonus tracks and i think that the feeling i got listening to that riff is one of like driving along the highway in California. And I think that's really, I think it does show the seams, but I've gotten, I've listened to this song a lot since we started doing the podcast and I keep coming back to it and it's becoming one of my favorite songs. And maybe it's like the title of the song, Milk Crate Mosh sounds kind of dumb or like you're not going to get anything out of it. But I like, I really get moved at that climax and I really like the, approach of it feeling a little lazy but it moves forward there's just there's something really great about that it's like things are maybe gonna fall apart but right now are just like coasting a little bit i like what you said the narrator is a clear character in a way that he shows up the narrator in theory is hanging out with jesus and his dad backstage and sketchy metal and i mean it's not that 
Craig Finn is very participatory in his music, but the closest we get to the stance he takes on here and a couple of the other tracks is Barford Blues. And there he's kind of laughing. Here he's angrier and he is really, like you said, a little bit preachy. I, I don't know if I if this were actually on the record, it doesn't seem like it would fit. It feels more like a Separation Sunday track in the sense of I think in Separation Sunday there's more of a message, whereas all the things that we talk about on these episodes, this doesn't feel like it's in there. It is a good song, and it's I, I think it's easy to go back to these because these are fresher than the 10 tracks of the album, but yeah, I think it's an interesting track. My question to you quickly, since I think you know more about this than I do, is he calls out Marlboro's and he calls out Camel Filter Kings. Are those... Do those brands matter, or are they just illustrative? Yeah, they kind of matter. Camel filters are really heavy cigarettes. They're like, I would say, even more than... Marlboro Reds are kind of harsh, tough cigarettes that pack a huge nicotine punch. And when I smoked, I didn't smoke Reds. My buddies who really smoked half pack a pack a day were Marlboro red smokers. I was more of a Marlboro light brief flirtation with Turkish golds, Marlboro 27, which is like tastes halfway between light and, and reds. I like those for a while. So yeah, it matters. I think it's like, it's like I'm a, you're a heavier smoker if you smoke camel filter kings. So yeah, I think it's just like, that's a real smoker. I think is what that line basically means. Yeah. There's Camel Lights. I can't remember what track it is, but Camel Lights is somebody that might be a, it's a starter or it's somebody who's smoking just for the scene or something. There's a lifter puller song. All these Chesterfield chicks hate the Camel Lights that's girls. What I, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Camel Lights are like, you don't, are almost, you don't really. That's when I started smoking. I was smoking Camel Lights. There are degrees of experience and I don't know. Probably there are people who start smoking heavier cigarettes, but not the clever kids. The clever kids are like Camel Lights kids. I did want to make a quick argument. I I love this song. I think it might belong as an actual track. And I think it either before certain songs or after certain songs would fit. Because it kind of is in that. It's not as slow. It's not like a slow song that certain songs is, but it. It has like a transitional element to being a slow song. Maybe if you're coming out of certain songs and you have that and then you roll into Knuckles, that might. Anyway, I love it. I think it has such a good point of view. It's a really recently like one of my favorites. I have to confess, I struggle to. Once you give me the form, I just sort of take that as the form. That's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to go along. But you said something, I think. I want to move on to hot fries. And one way to transition is this idea of being more knowing, being more of a jerk or having more of a point of view about the characters. And I think one thing that made me think of is lifter puller has a lot more of that, like I'm cooler than you, like harshness to it. And I think that there's some vestiges of that lyrical approach in the bonus tracks here. And I think nowhere is that more clear than in hot fries where it's a direct assault on the things that 
people might think make them cool, but actually don't. And he's just like taking them on like specifically in a really mean way that in some ways is some of my favorite Craig Finn lyrics do this where he's just like, I'm not afraid to say shit that's going to hurt your feelings. And I think that's what's going on with hot fries. I think that's what's thrilling about it. It's so earlier in the previous track, we said that the narration here seems more entwined with the characters. Now he seems what I wrote down was that he seems more like a dick and less like a wise ass. Like he's a wise ass and almost killed me, but here he's just a dick. And I think it's really what's first of all, there's a reference to some borderline whore that's just kind of thrown out there again. We talk about California, and it clearly, you compare this song to most people are DJs or Hostile Mass, where Craig is clearly saying, we are not this, we are not some electro-clash band in New York, and we're not clever kids who are pushing up their glasses and talking about Star Wars at a hardcore party or whatever. We are something different. And here, maybe he's going to California, and, and you had mentioned Tag Kubler moved out to California in between Minneapolis and New York. So maybe there's some echoes there, but it's like he went out there and he just pissed on everybody because he really, he didn't feel comfortable or because they were rude to him or whatever. And so, yeah, it's a really pointing figures, the two specific call outs that I just think are Jack Kerouac. First of all, I love how he says Kerouac there. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> I've never heard that pronunciation. But that's a funny one because... You have so much disdain that you mispronounce it, like, on purpose, kind of. All your favorite books, that one seems so well-written. If you were just a little bit more well-read. Hey, Jack Kerouac's dead and he drank himself to death. And I just, I just ain't that high. Yeah, and it's interesting for two reasons. First, because I think it's accurate. Kerouac was a totally miserable guy by the end. And I actually think he's more enjoyable to read when he's miserable. Like, there's something, the post-on-the-road Kerouac is very, that grappling with his fame is, I think, really interesting. It was the same with Salinger, too, for me. But also because... Arguably, Craig Finn's most famous song begins with, there are nights where I think that Sal Paradise was right. Ah, uh, yeah. Biting the hand a little. But it's also that evolution, like you said, from the lifter puller Craig, which is this angry scene stir, fuck you, I'm going to tell you how it is scene, to the Craig Finn, it's not about the negative, it's about the positive, hold steady. Everybody under the tent, boys and girls in America, live right. such sad time together. Wow. Yeah, you're blowing me away with that evolution. It's a great observation I hadn't thought of. Going from all you have to say about Jack Kerouac is Jack Kerouac's dead and he drank himself to death. <laughs> Double reiteration of how dead the guy is. Like, not, not just once. And that he did it to himself. It's his own fault. He drank himself to death. It's his fault. Pissing on his grave, basically. To a full-throated endorsement of Kerouac's tech. To naming an album after it. Well, and then the Elliot Smith line. Because this is 
Elliot Smith killed himself in 2003, in October. So this album came out in March of 2004. So I have to think this was written after he killed himself. I and- remember, I, I remember, I think I remember an interview where he, he said. Well, no, he, he, he said in an interview with Brian, who we had on for the Minneapolis episode, he said something like, I like to see danger on the stage. And, and then he's here. Tad said something like, like Elliot Smith, when he, well, bad example. And then switched to, they eventually talked about cat power as compared to jet. So I think this is a character, right? I don't think this is literally Craig's views, but it's a really unhappy character, the narrator. And he's really, and maybe that's it. Maybe this is just more directly him stepping into one of these characters, but it's just an angry song in a way that the closest I think they get to on their records might be Cattle and the Creeping Things, but that's got Cattle and the Creeping Things has more it's scope not close. to it. Yeah. Yeah, this is bitter. Okay, so here I have something from New York Times profile to hold steady. It's a parent it's a great parenthetical aside paragraph. A stickier situation, Hot Fries, which includes the lines, all your favorite songs wouldn't seem so sad if you weren't so depressed. Elliot Smith seems like a mess to me. End quote. After Mr. Smith's death, those words sounded even meaner, but Mr. Finn decided to keep it. Quoting Finn, I felt weird for a second, but then I thought, even as a casual fan, you knew he was a mess. So it sounds like he wrote, he wrote that before he killed himself, and then he kept the line in, which is almost... I wasn't... Were you an Elliot Smith fan at the time, especially? Uh, no, but I went through a phase where I was like, this is great, but it was years and years after he had died. It was probably 08, 09 type of era, and I never got that deeply into it because it is too sad. It's like, you don't want to explore those dark recesses of your mind all that much it's beautiful music but i never went like full full all in on elliot smith i think they're great songs but i've maybe out of self-preservation kept a little bit of a remove just because the self-hatred can be so harsh on some of them i think i heard needle in the hay is on the soundtrack to some movie is it goodwill hunting i was gonna say it's it's if it's i think it's a gus van zandt movie if it's not goodwill hunting it's i don't know what else do you think? My private Idaho or something? I don't I heard Needle. I don't know. But I remember hearing it in a movie and going, what's that? And then diving into Elliot Smith after that. But it, that's like the extent. So like, I was never that offended by that line. I thought it was just like super mean. I, I also, I probably got into him less than you, but I was, I do remember I was on the cusp getting into music and I was, coming from a more of an emo direction where Elliot Smith was sort of slightly more refined and more thoughtful, even if he was more depressive. And so I remember the news of him killing himself. And I remember that it was, it was not a surprise or anything. I was aware of that. So yeah, I think Craig's defense there is believable that even a casual fan will be aware that there was something sort of off yeah. there. But it's still a brutal lie. I think if you read Elliot Smith's obit or bio or anything, there's some 
tough, tough sledding in there. think of the the climax here what do you think of the it's my party right so it's a reference to it's my party and i'll cry if i want to i don't know the artist leslie gore so it's like a one-hit wonder and it's like a sort of cheesy song and i think a lot of the cheese sort of it doesn't quite get filtered out there's something a little cheesy about it they played this live at one of the shows and everyone's stomping around when it hits. I don't think it's because the words are that great, but it's just like, it's about being fired up. And so it works in that sense, but there's something, if you, if my like lyrical criticism brain is in any way activated, I'm not really all that into it. It's not the highlight of the song for me. The highlight of the song is Listening to someone who's willing to say this type of stuff and be this cruel is just like the thrill for me. I don't really think that there's a related emotional payoff for the end. I think it's an example like the Keith Richards quote on the last track or some of the other stuff we'll get to. It's an example of really, even though this isn't, it's a a sign of pop culture lifting that is two degrees more shallow than shouting out Patty Smite. Yeah, it's a little, it's like an Easter egg, a little too Easter eggy, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the last thing that is interesting to me about this track is that there is something, to your point about a moral message, there is something righteous here in terms of both the the music, it's a little, you were saying it sounded a little like Aerosmith, actually. And I was saying it reminds me of the Swish without getting into ear the way the Swish does with the alternating stereo channels of the guitars that are just kind of, again, aggro, really pushing in your face. But the message here could argue that this is actually his highest moral ground because he's really saying get a hold of yourself stop don't don't give yourself an excuse because you think you're listening to the music that supports you or you're watching movies that are great or that the books you're reading it's like get a hold of yourself don't just keep the things that make you high will make you die like don't you know what i mean like there's a for as rude as he is you could argue that it's from a positive place. Well, he's like, I've gone through all of that. I've done all this stuff. I know what Elliot Smith stands for. I know the end point of following Jack Kerouac all the way. He dies. And the things that make you highly, it's like, yeah, like you said, it's, it's preachy. And, but it is from like, I don't know, it reminds me of like maybe an AA sponsor or something, someone who's like been through a whole bunch of, shit and maybe more than even you have even if you're trying to get clean or you're like no you have a problem or whatever that it's coming from this place of experience of having gone through all the negative aspects of this stuff and being having been drawn to it in the same way that the person you're talking to is but knowing better now i think there yeah 
is a moralistic song and it goes back to this theme we've talked about a lot on the album, which is this border zone between partying and addiction and this border zone between being cool and like, and doing stuff that like is really dangerous or really violent or destructive in a way that's not fun anymore. They're really banging on that with the things that make you high or make you die. It's almost so direct that it's, again, maybe a little too obvious. There's so much good about this song and there's so much good about that perspective, I think, or it's a perspective I'm really drawn to is this kind of persona who's been through it all and kind of is being a little snotty about it, but also cares and wants, wants other people not to make the same mistake. A Positive Jam is brought to you by Retro Gear Shop. Want to get the latest updates and news on vintage gear editions and new top-end gear for your studio? Email list at retrogearshop.com with the subject line Positive Jam and get added to the Retro Gear Shop newsletter and 10% off your next purchase of eligible items. Just email list at retrogearshop.com or go to retrogearshop.com slash pages slash contact and fill out the form with Positive Jam in the message and get 10% off your next high-end musical gear purchase from Retro Gear Shop. Retro Gear Shop. Should we go to Curves and Nerves? Yeah, let's go to Curves and Nerves, which I think, I don't want to force you to speak again, but I sort of think you have, you have opinions here. Yeah, it's the song I've listened to the most times of any Hold Steady song, and it's probably like an order of magnitude more. I used to listen to it, one of my first writing jobs for a investment news website. I had to write something that would update every 45 minutes. So it'd be like the same article just updated every like 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half. So I was constantly writing and constantly looking for the next thing to insert into the story. And while I was doing all that, I would play Curves and Nerves on loop on YouTube, like over and over and over again. That's like dozen times a day for probably months on end. I was just listening to Curves and Nerves over and over again. And I think the reason I was doing that was because I had like a very brief but torrid romantic relationship with someone that ended quite poorly. and. I think it was one of my ways of processing that the the depth of that relationship and what it meant for me. That's my context, but what's great about the song, I think that that hook riff that plays throughout the whole thing, that's just those three notes, A, C sharp, and D. I, I just that catches me and the way it echoes and the way that they've doubled craig's vocal lines so that there's a shouting and a singing version of him delivering a lot of the lines is really powerful I also like that it sets this scene of a woman kind of hiding out, probably trying to straighten out. It, it has a strung out feeling and sort of like someone being stuck somewhere 
a lot of the lyrical subject matter is about how things have all fallen apart. There's only three living members of the cityscape skins, and the singer is one of them, the listener is the other, and then Gideon is the third. So everyone's dead. It just has this great feeling of resignation and finality that I find very appealing. The other thing that's weird about it is it has three chords and it goes on a three measure loop. Dun, 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 dun. Then it goes right back. There's no fourth measure, which normally a pop song would go in groups of four. I tried to learn this on guitar and that's hard. It's hard musically to kind of get into a, a three measure groove like that. It's, it's strange but I think it does a really cool propulsive thing. It's like the only thing that's sort of, otherwise this song feels very stagnant, except for this like driving thing where you're like jumping to the next loop of the pattern earlier than you should be. And all of that just combines, I think it's musically interesting for that reason. And I think the subject matter just matches what they're going for. It's also a little more punky, maybe, just in being straight down strums. And all of those things are things that when they crop up in the whole study, really resonate with me. So I think it's partly biographical that it's kind of this song about things concluding and me being in a place of despair over a torrid romance. But also, I just think it's great. I don't know why. I think I tried to explain why, but there's something that really hits me hard about curves and nerves it's interesting because so we just said on the last track that craig talks about a borderline horror and it's like a kind it's it's a harsh song and the narrator is not a nice guy and here we have what i assume the she at the beginning is holly but it's another song like certain songs where the woman is kind of a protagonist, even though she's not always doing sort of super award-winning stuff, there's a there's that <laughs> feeling of, you know, leave, first of all, leave me alone. Tell my puppeteer I'm on the other coast. I'm all the way back in hostile Massachusetts. and Asserting herself, yeah. Right. It's just kind of this, there's a feel, there's a tinge of nostalgia here of it just yeah. didn't work out. We talk so much about you don't get what you wanted. You went out to Hollywood. And this is a cliche, but it's a compellingly retold cliche. The cliche of going out to Hollywood, hoping you get it made, and instead you're ending up in scuzzy porn tapes. It doesn't say scuzzy. No, but, you know, it went Probably straight. Probably it is. <laughs> went straight to video. Good work on two porn titles that make sense. North Dallas, Foursome, and Revenge of the Pervs. I like Revenge of the Pervs quite a bit. Yeah, that's quite good. <laughs> it's just there's a feeling of, also going back to the seascape skins, there's a feeling of this didn't quite turn out the way we thought it would. And it doesn't, I suspect this doesn't make it onto an album because it doesn't really go anywhere beyond that. And so it just stays in that nostalgic tone. And it's, I think it's comparable to the tracks that don't let me blow up and don't let me explode don't let on me explode separation sunday on separation sunday and there's another track eight and track 10 are the ones that i'm not crazy because they feel to me more like transitional let's keep the plot going tracks than they do 
like musical efforts. But that's sort of what I get out of this here. Again, West Coast, we're talking about Hollywood. There's still a little bit of the Rocky Mountains. Denver shows up more on Separation Sunday, but shows up like a couple places here on these bonus tracks. So I do think that's interesting as well. But yeah, that's sort of where I come. I, I like it. I like the, and I can see how, given your context, it really is. It's life advice. <laughs> you wouldn't get this way with Barfruit Blues. Like it, it does plug into that really well. Yeah. And if we're doing the philosophizing, then these hood rat chicks are like razor blades. They're pretty cheap, but we'll cut you deep. I don't endorse that perspective in general, but if you've just gone through a breakup, then it might be something that can help you as you sort out your emotions a little bit, I would say. It helped me in the moment, I think. Or maybe it just hurt. Maybe it just made me all crazy. I don't know but it's stoked in emotion really powerfully. I love that idea. It's weird though, because it's like, there's a finality to the song. It didn't work out. That's the end. And so maybe that's why it's not on any album. The story sort of is, comes to a close. This is what happened to everybody. Charlemagne's dead. Gideon's by himself. Holly is in the depths of sex work. And then not not presented in a very empowering way, which we know that can be can be the case, but doesn't appear to be the case here. Should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Well, I'll just say quickly, the last two tracks here, there seems less here. On Spotify, at least the next track is you gotta dance with who you came to dance with. So you've seen this this one live. This seems like this will be it a fun stumps. live track. Yeah, yeah it's it's a good live one. It rolls nicely that the bluesy, riffy, 70s, muscly, sort of Ted Nugent type feeling guitar plays really well live. I think the idea for the song is fun. Some songs can just be fun and funny. And I think this song is really fun and funny. It's about rollicking good times, but also maybe nights not going so great, but going good enough. It has... I think the funniest line to me of anything in the Hold Steady's lyrical work, the gangster disciples knock me off of my bicycle, is just... And the gangster disciples knock me off of my bicycle At midnight down by Selby and Briggs I should've gone down there, but it was too late to switch you Gotta dance with who you came with Perfect. And I think it's perfect because I grew up in Milwaukee and the Gangster Disciples are Chicago gang. And some kids would sometimes talk about like how they knew about the Gangster Disciples or something. It was like this lurking, menacing thing from outside, but close enough to us. And I think that maybe that's a Midwest sort of trope, even kind of if you grew up in certain circles. So I think that's funny that the Gangster Disciples is like this mid Midwestern menace that can knock you off your bike and steal your stuff. It, you're on your bicycle. You're not. You're not hot stuff. So it's like a great self-effacing. I'm in over my head line, and I just love it. I, disciples and bicycle rhyming is just hilarious. I, I crack up every time I think of that line. It's so good. Yeah, I like that. That's it's a fun track. I think it's uh, it. This sounds to me really like Aerosmith, actually. Uh, good, yeah. That's a better example. 
and it reminds you know Aerosmith. I grew up in the Boston area. Aerosmith is a Boston band. They're a derivative, I think, of Led Zeppelin and of the blues influences that Zeppelin had. But yeah, it feels like they're this could have been on the pump. Yeah, it's just straight ahead rock. The same way Aerosmith is like, we're just gonna have fun, lighten up, everybody. This is just a fun song. And I like that harmonica or horn or whatever. It, it, it even adds to that blues feeling that twisting the dark parts of Midwestern cities, this is how it would sort of sound. And for all that the whole study are these sort of throwback to classic rock, like they don't do a lot of just work it out without any bigger themes going on. They still have the cityscape skins. They've still got Charlemagne and Gideon. There's not a lot. I think there's, we don't, there's not a lot to it. It's fun. And that's kind of it. We can leave it at that. It's I don't think there's a lot to track. pick apart. Yeah, it's a good bonus track. Perfect. It kicks live. It really works live. It's great live song. A Positive Jam is brought to you by Retro Gear Shop. Retro Gear Shop sells a bunch of great cutting edge and classic musical gear from synths to mics, preamps to guitar pedals and more. For example, they sell the Earthquaker Devices Organizer and the Earthquaker Devices Dispatch Master. Have you ever needed your devices organized or your devices dispatched mastered? Well, some people do, and you know who does? Hold Steady Guitar's Dad Kubler. He uses the Organizer. And you know who uses the Dispatch Master? That's right. Hold Steady lead singer Craig Finn according to musicradar.com. Want to check them out? Go to retrogearshop.com and check out the effects amps page. And if you buy something and use the discount code APJ10, that's the number 10, you'll get a 10% discount off your purchase on eligible items. Check it out at retrogearshop.com. R-E-T-R-O-G-E-A-R-S-H-O-P.com. Retro Gear I don't know if I can say the same for Modesto is not that sweet. This is my least favorite, so maybe you should you should head us up here. I don't I mean, it's similar to it's a degree lower than curves and nerves, but it's similar in just sort of it's in one key, in meaning that sort of nostalgia. This time instead of it's not empowering in the way that Curves and Nerves sort of is. Where Curves and Nerves, it's sort of like, let me alone, let me... I made mistakes, but I'm dealing with it. Here, it's more like, uh, sucks that it didn't work out for you. But I like the accordion. I like accordion. And it's not cheesy. It's not, like, over the top or anything. Just a pleasant song. Again, I just don't... I wonder really bad trip out to california somebody had i know this could have been the don't go to california ep or is that what you put in here yeah <laughs> <laughs> you could take that it's good yeah it's funny one thing i like about i like the you left with burning bridges but you never saw the beach or it's something like that there's a cool double-edged thing with california which is the coastal areas of california are like these phenomenal just expanses of natural beauty and interesting cities and great food and good culture and surfing and beaches and hiking in the mountains and stuff. If you go a little 
inland and it doesn't even have to be that far inland a lot of the time, then California can become a very bleak and scary and kind of reactionary place that it's not reputed to be, or that's not on the brochures. And I, so I like that line because it's like, she did make it to California, but not to the coast. And that's like being almost on the beach or within striking distance of the beach versus not being within striking distance of the beach is like such a huge distinction in a lot of parts of California that I felt like that was a really cool. You like went there for one thing and you got really physically close to it, but you didn't, you actually got nowhere near. There's something like great about that. Yeah. And Modesto is this town sort of in between Stockton and Merced and there's almost a you can almost think of it like there's one crescent that's the coast and then there's sort of a middleland crescent that runs from let's say Sacramento down to San Bernardino or something yeah and then there's a further inland crescent that has fewer people but more of at least you have Tahoe and Yosemite and Mojave and not that keep in mind I've have you been have, to California I've been to San Francisco for about four days. I was in LA for about 12 hours and I think I went skiing in Squaw Valley. So that's the bulk in San Diego. I've been to San Diego. Did you see the beach? I did see the beach. I made okay. it to the beach. I did not make it to <laughs> Modesto. <laughs> but I think what it, you're getting at is California is, and maybe that's, it almost would be like the California dreams EP, but for California broken dreams, maybe because it's this, Going out, California represents that in our minds as a nation. The keep going west, the far west, the gold rush, the movies, the beaches. Even Almost Killed Me, kids out on the west coast are taking off their clothes, screwing in the surf, going out to shows, getting high and riding around in GTOs. That's perfect from the perspective of people who like this music is like, when I heard that, I was like, what am I doing in DC? I moved to Tacoma, Washington after that. So, which, you know, they don't screw in the surf up Tacoma, but Tacoma's uh, not that sweet. Maybe. It's not that sweet. <laughs> but no, but that's like the false. It's it's weird that all that the the mythology is on the album. The goodness of California is on the album. And then the bonus tracks are all like completely subvert that and say, like, California is actually horrible. Or if you miss fire on California, it's a real punishment. It's that idea of you reached for the brass ring and you ended up in Modesto. That's not. Or you ended up making porn instead of movies. You expected some easy win in California, but so does everybody. It's pretty great, though. I miss San Diego. You left with burning bridges, but you never saw the beach. You had stars in your eyes. But Modesto's not that sweet when you only know one guy And he disappears for days at a time oh, I, I, thought, I was going to say, but you didn't like Modesto, it's not that sweet. It's not a favorite <laughs> I like the message. Well, I don't like anti-California messaging, but I think it's like a very clever thing here. It's a great conceit. No, I don't love this song as much as the other ones. 
I think I'm higher on these bonus tracks than probably a lot of people are and listen to them a lot more than a lot of people do. But Modesto is not that sweet. It just doesn't kick me in that ass all that much. And I was talking with my brother about the replacements and we've kind of, the replacements are an important band to Craig Finn, obviously. And I actually think that one of the places stepping back for a second, I think Curves and Nerves actually has some replacements DNA in it a little bit. Just the like, the little melodic riff and the like kind of interesting chord progression, the the somber theme. I think it reveals to me that like some of these songs that are like beautiful in some sort of more thoughtful way, they don't always resonate with me right away because I want, if I'm in like a rocking mood, then I care if it rocks so much more than I care if it has something a little bit interesting or more subtle to say. And I think that that might be where Modesto's Not That Sweet kind of falls for me. I don't, I'm, I'm less willing to just accept a sort of sweet little slow song. It's harder for that to grab me, maybe. It has to do something more, maybe. So that's just like a way of explaining this through my personal preference, that the other ones have something a little bit more on the rock level that Modesto's Not That Sweet doesn't have. Well, it's sort of, again, closer to that Billy Joel side of thing. Yeah. Which we've discussed. Not your favorite side of the spectrum. Yeah, people just start fall somewhere along the spectrum, and I just am a little bit tilted away from it. But, you you know, I think we've come at this. You, you need all the pieces to make the band work. But anyway, how do we wrap this up? I think these are great songs. I think that's all I have to say at the end of it is that these stand on par with almost anything else on the album. So I love it. I mean, I don't know if I was going to come to that conclusion when we started, but I taking it in totality. You don't have to be a completist to get into this and you will enjoy the tracks as they are. And they will shed more light on this whole steady and who they are at the same time. And I think that's what you want out of bonus track. Oh, I'm fired up. I, I love these songs. That's so good. I should just leave it there. That's so good. So good. So good when it hits the ears. I'm going to knock you off your bicycle now, Daniel. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much to Daniel. Thanks, of course, by all means, and almost without further ado to the Hold Steady. All song clips, as usual, are owned by their creators. Next week, we'll be talking with Kyle Undum and Brian Holm, two music critics from Minnesota, to get a sense of what the Hold Steady's music and legacy feels like for people who actually live in Craig Finn's mythical Minneapolis cityscape. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our feed wherever you get podcasts, and give us some of those sweet, sweet stars by rating us on Apple. If you feel like typing, go ahead and throw a review in there. To get in touch, DM us at at Shortman Studios on Twitter or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. This has been a Shortman Studios production. I'm Mike Taylor, and this is a positive jam.